Ephesians chapter number six. We'll be going to the sixth chapter of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter six, and then uh, we'll start at verse number 10, and then 2 Timothy chapter two, and verse number three and four. Ephesians six and 10. How many is gonna make 2023 a year of embracing your Bible? We need the Word of God in our life. And I'm so thankful for the Word of God. And I'm not reading from a comic book this morning. I'm not reading from the newspaper because there's not probably a lot of good stuff in there you're going to want to hear anyway. But I'm thankful the Word ministers to us. Are you ready? Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Can you look at your neighbor and say, we're not fighting with people? Go ahead and look at somebody else and say, our problems are not people. It really isn't. It's not flesh and blood. It's not human things just that we're wrestling against. And I, I'm not going to overplay this hand. You know, I'm not going to go Frank Peretti on you this morning. Uh, but this is in the Bible. This is in the Bible, what I'm fixing to read you today, that we are in a spiritual battle for our souls and for eternity. And furthermore, I would say for the world that we live in, our community, we are in a spiritual battle. And Paul lays it out for us. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against principalities. He said against powers. And you have a spiritual schematic of evil, of the evil one, against powers, he says. The rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness and high. Other translations say heavenly places, way up there. Uh, you just need to know that behind the scenes, there, there are things that work in our world that are just pulling levers and pulling strings. And a lot of things that are happening today, we could blame it on this or that, but really behind all of this, there's an evil spirit that's at work in our world today. And that's what he's laying out here. He's saying though, as the children of God, though, as the family of God, he said, Wherefore, because of that, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand, I feel the Holy Ghost, in the evil day and having done all to stand. Because of all of the spiritual weakness in the world, he said, you have a resource in your life that you've got to get serious about. And that is you've got to put some things on, the armor of God, so that you can stand against the evil one. And after you've done that, after having done everything you can do, he said, you just got to stand. You got to plant your feet. You got to realize you're in a battle. You got to know that you have the armor that you need and that you've got what it takes with your God to be able to stand, withstand anything that your enemy throws your way. And all the church said, amen. And he begins to lay out a series of attributes and spiritual attitudes and mental paradigms and actions that we take into our life that allows us to stand against the things that come against us. He says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. 
Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take on the helmet of salvation. He said, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And then 19, as for me, he says, pray for your preacher that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Amen. And that, friend, that's where we are. That's where we live. Ephesians 6 is where we live. That's our life. We're saints of God. We're children of God. And we've got an enemy that we will, by times, fight with and wrestle with. I want a companion uh, scripture to share with you and hopefully uh, encourage you and solidify you with this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Paul tells Timothy, he said, Thou therefore endure hardness. Endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I want you to look at somebody else again. I want you to say this. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard. Am I telling you the truth? I'm not telling you the Bible's telling you this. He told his young protege in the ministry, he said, you endure hardness as a, because you're a soldier of Jesus Christ. He said, no man that warreth entangle him entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who had chosen him to be a soldier Holy Ghost talk to us today this is your word this is your scripture I pray anointing and utterance these are your precious people these are the, none other than the people of God I'm asking you Lord to just minister speak through this simple word this morning and help them God identify maybe where they're at what they're going through but also not just the fact of victory, but the vehicle of victory, Lord, which you have given to us to equip us, God, that whatever comes against us, we have more than enough ability that you have given us to come out of this thing ahead and on top. And I pray that in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach this morning from the subject, surviving the shot. Some of you are thinking the shot. <laughs> Amen. God bless you. you. May be seated. We'll talk about it a little bit. Surviving the shot. I don't mean the vaccine either. <laughs> Just cl clarify that. Um, surviving the shot. The inspiration for this message that I got, and I'm just I'm just going to be a real preacher because that's the only way I know how to be. Uh, I get my inspiration from some of the weirdest places sometimes, and I won't tell you all of them. TMI. But, um, so I was listening in some of you, how many listen to podcasts? I'm hearing more and more people talking about podcasts, listen to podcasts. And I know there's a lot of them out there. There's a lot of political ones out there. I'm not going to ask you if you listen to the political ones because I don't want to know. Um, but there, you know, there's some good stuff out there, but I found a podcast a number, I'd say about two years ago. And it's, it's a man who was a conservation officer. He's, he's a warden. And uh, it's kind of cool. And a lot of these guys have some pretty incredible stories. And so his podcast is stories of wardens and some of the situations they've gotten themselves into. And he interviews different people. And uh, it's pretty, pretty neat stuff. So I was listening to this. It's called, by the way, it's called Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch. It's on podcast. Great, great story. And if you're interested, it's podcast number 95, from which I get my inspiration this morning. So I'm, I'm listening to this podcast, and he interviews a, a man, a gentleman, uh, by the name of Kevin Bear. And Kevin Bear is an uh, Ohio game warden. 
And so Kevin Baird begins to tell the story how there was a person in a certain county that was illegally shooting a lot of deer. So they decided to set up a watch in that area and they were going to set up a decoy a decoy deer. And, he's, and he explained how they went about doing all that. Normally, he said they, they won't put it like on a main thoroughfare. It's not a super big deer that they put out there, a great big buck. It's just a simple, you know, little button buck they put out there. They put it well off the road so it's not super visible for all the traffic that's going by. And so they set up this decoy in the late afternoon. And as they set it up, he then kind of reconned out of that area, and they were getting ready to kind of do a warden watch over that area. And he planted himself uh, next to a tree, and it's, it's dark outside now. It's getting dark, and he hears about 15 yards away, he hears the crunch of gravel as a truck slowly moves by. He crunches himself down next to the tree and kind of huddles himself up because right there he doesn't know, if this, is this a poacher? What is this? And as he's huddling there, all of a sudden, out of nowhere is the crack of a shot, and he finds himself, pow, he gets, he gets shot. And come to find out later, he's huddled up there, kind of the guy that ended up shooting him was uh, uh, more or less what he described as a well-known sociopath. And he, this guy would arbitrarily go out and shoot deer, and he had a, he had a 20-gauge shotgun with infrared scope, and he had a 20-gauge slug. And this game warden is huddled up against this tree. He, he has no idea what's happening here. And 50 feet away from him is this evil sociopath that's got a 20-gauge shotgun. He's got uh, a slug in it, and he shoots him right in the rear. And if, if you've ever seen on a... Maybe you've seen it on YouTube or something like that where, where they shoot rifle shots into like a great big thing of jelly... And, and when it hits the impact, you just see that thing, it, it shakes. Or they, you know, they'll shoot like a great big thing of water, a watermelon, they, and, and, and it shows in slow motion the impact. And he said, when this thing hit him, all he could feel was molten steel that went into him, into all of his internal organs. He said he could feel it, and it basically ended. Uh, the shot didn't go to his head, but the repercussions, reverberations of that shot went into his head, and he was just... Obviously, he was absolutely, completely shocked. The first thoughts that go into Kevin's mind, he says, obviously, he says, I'm going to die because you don't, you don't recover from that kind of a shot. All the internal, and coming to find out later, it completely shattered his pelvis in like 25 places. Every single internal organ was damaged. And he, he's laying there, and he has been shot by a poacher. Hence my inspiration for this message today. <laughs> Surviving the shot. Now, when you get shot, it brings a shock. I don't think anybody here has probably been shot with a gun. I probably should have asked that question. Has anybody here ever been shot with a gun? Thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto God. Paul, you've been shot with a gun? Not a BB gun. Dear Lord, have mercy. Dave Latif? 22 in the leg. Goodness. Man, we, we are a church of survivors. Thank God. So you know, it's not 20-gauge shot. It's not 20-gauge slug in your rear end. But, Bob, you've been shot? Goodness. 
So you shot yourself, Bob. <laughs> Goodness. Wow. Bill? Goodness. So I am preaching to experienced people here this morning. Now, you know where I'm going to go with this message here this morning. Now, we have four people in our congregation that have been shot by a gun, which is shocking to me. It's just shocking. The things you learn about the church you never knew. But I will tell you this, that if you live for God long enough, at some point, you're going to get shot. You're going to get shot. And the thing is, when you get shot, what happens is there is a sense of shock that comes. When you get hit, and, and, and oftentimes I would say this, oftentimes it is traumatic. Because there is a shock wave when a person gets shot. And you, you, you say, what just happened? Where did that come from? I didn't see that coming. I wasn't expecting that. You ever been there before? And you're sitting there in a sense of trauma, and when you get hit, there's a shock that hits you, and there's a sense of trauma that hits you. And I will say this, and a warning to all of us that are children of God, that these times will come to all of us. At some point, all of us are going to get shot. It's just going to happen. I mean, out of nowhere, palpitations can come. And you're left sitting there just going, where, where, where did that come from? And anxiety comes as a result of that. Out of nowhere, you're just doing your business working on a tractor. And the tractor pops into gear and runs you over. And you almost die. And you're laying on the ground with a sense of shock in your life. Uh, a call comes. There's been a car accident. I've been on the receiving end of those calls more than one time and then having to give news to family members that their loved one has just been killed in a car accident. I was teaching at Purpose Institute a number of years ago and I was in the middle of teaching and, and they called me out of the, that class, right in the middle of that class, only to find out that my sister-in-law had suddenly passed away. And, and when those kind of things happen, I'll tell you what it does, it gives you, it gives you a, a shock. I remember when my daughter was diagnosed with B-strep and meningitis, our, our little baby girl. She's only a week old and she's in meningitis. Spent six weeks in St. Paul Children's ICU and, and uh, we're just trying to do work for the Lord and we're driving back and forth from Grand Rapids back down to the city and north and then back to the cities. And, back, and, 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 and all I can tell you is that there is a sense of shock that can come over you. Maybe it's a betrayal. Maybe a friend that you thought that you could trust in and all of a sudden you found out they're not as trustworthy as you thought they were and here you are and you are you are shocked the position that you had that you thought was going to be there forever has been eliminated and there you are you're unemployed you don't have a job you got more month than you got money and you say how is this all going to come together and you're sitting there with a sense of shock in your life a marriage maybe that disintegrated a child that went wild and your heart broke financial catastrophe and anxiety attack 
And I've just come to preach to this church this morning that these things, they happen, and if they haven't happened at some point in your life, they will happen. And sometimes when they happen, they come without warning. You don't know when it's going to come. And when it comes, it leaves you with a sense of shock. But I've also come to preach to this morning to this church and to remind all of us as children of God that when we sit there in our shocking moments of life, that we've also got a God that is there by our side. And he is not shocked by our shock. He is not scared by what scares us. And though we've been punched and though we've been hit, I'm so thankful this morning that we've got a recourse and we've got a help in our God. We've got a God that will be with us when we are sitting there in the shock of our life. Amen. And you may be there this morning right now as I'm preaching. You may not be there this morning, but there may be time a week and a month and a year. See, because typically we're either going into a trial or we're coming out of a trial. Isn't that really good news? Are you glad I told you that? Well, the thing about the Bible is the Bible, it gives us the small print. It does not tell us, nowhere in this Bible does it tell us uh, that we're going to have a primrose path to a comfortable eternity. And now that we got the Holy Ghost, everything's going to be easy peasy. And there's going to be no troubles or trials or tribulation or difficulties. It doesn't tell us that. This Bible is a book of full disclosure. And this Bible tells us uh, that we're going to have persecution. We're going to have tribulation. We're going to go through trials and troubles. uh, But it also tells us that God's going to be with us and God's going to help us. And if you're in the middle of a shot and you're broken and you're bleeding, that you're going to survive that shot because you got a God that's going to help to heal you and he's going to help to lift you and he'll bless you even when you've been shot. You will survive the shot. Yes, you will. Praise God. Paul tells again his young protege in the ministry in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 11. This is really important. He's telling a young preacher this. It applies to the whole church, but I think it especially applies to the ministry. He says in 3 and 11 of 2 Timothy, Paul tells him, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at, at Antioch. He said, I, when I went to that city, I had a lot of trouble in that city because we want revival But we don't want sometimes what comes with revival. And let me tell you what comes with revival. Sometimes a riot comes with the revival. Mm -hmm. It's called apostolic. It's called the book of Acts. And he, he was in Antioch, and the Bible says that he had persecutions, he had afflictions, he had difficulty. It wasn't just at Antioch, though. The Bible says at Iconium. So he goes to the next city and he said, Timothy, I got good news for you, young preacher. Guess what? I had trouble at Antioch, but I didn't just have trouble there. I had trouble in the next city. I had trouble at Iconium. And as if that wasn't enough, he said, guess what? I had trouble at Lystra too. Anybody remember what happened at Lystra? He got stoned. And not like the world says. 
They, you know, they, they didn't commemorate and celebrate his preaching all Sunday. They say, thank God the apostle is here. We love his preaching so much. His preaching was so effective that they picked up rocks and they threw those rocks at him until he laid in a rubble pile with blood coming out of, gushing out of his head and they left him for dead. That's what happened at Lystra. And he's like, Timothy, I want you to know this, that in these cities that I went to, I went through persecution. I went through afflictions. I went through hard times. Are you excited yet, saint of God? And notice what he says, what persecutions I endured. Oh, I've got a great temptation to just get off the beaten path of my message here this morning for a comfortable, for a comfortable American Christianity that's sitting on comfortable chairs and everything's really, really pretty easy for us and we're in the middle of prosperity and we have so much. But can I tell you, none of those things are a guarantee to us. And the real question is, when the going gets rough, am I going to keep living for God? Or am I going to sissy out? Am I going to keep living for God when the going gets tough? Am I just going to be a Sunday saint? Am I just going to be a saint when everything's going good for me? Am I just going to live for God when the blessings are flowing and I'm feeling the Holy Ghost and everything's good and everybody loves me and nobody hates me? What am I going to do when I go through the times in life when it feels like nobody likes me and it feels like I'm in tribulation and it's been a long time since I've seen the light of day and it's been, it feels like I've been in a long, long trial? I don't know about you, but I might have made up my mind with God's help a long time ago. I'm going to live for the Lord until I breathe my last. If God will help me, I'm going to keep on keeping on. If God will help me, no matter what trials come my way, I said yes to Jesus, and I'm going to keep on following him until he calls me home. Though none go with me, still I will follow. If everybody else in the church backslides, I just got to keep on living for the Lord. If my youth group backslides, am I going to backslide? No, I'm going to keep on living for the Lord. If, if trials come in my life, am I going to give up? No, that's when I'm going to dig a little bit deeper in the Lord. And God's going to help me and God's going to keep me. But the tests will come. To us all. It will. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, but I like this. He says, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. I've got good news for you. If you remain faithful to your God, he will deliver you. Amen. If you stay faithful to your Jesus, he will deliver you. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost here this morning because I've got a word for somebody. And the word is your trial has an expiration date. It's not going to be forever. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy, it's coming in the morning. The sun is going to shine again. The black dark night is going to be over. 
and all the evil beings that have whispered in your ears in the darkest part of the night. You've got to know that the time is going to come that your trial is going to end. Your trial's got an expiration date and your God controls when your trial's going to end. And at the snap of his fingers, he can bring you out and lift you up and strengthen you and invigorate you and say, okay, son, okay, daughter, your trial is officially over. God help us. God help us. Jesus' name. Stiffen your spine, child of God. Amen. As Paul said, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. So he said, he said, that's what God did for me. And then he said, okay, that's what I went through. Are you ready? You ready? You don't look ready. Are you ready? He said, verse 12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You excited yet? You encouraged in the Lord? He said, this is all the stuff that I went through, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. He said, yes, and I also want you to know, Timothy, and you let the church know that all those that live godly. How many want to live godly? I do, man. Lord, help me. I want to live godly. I want to be godly. I want to be like the Lord that I follow and serve. I want to be godly. He said, if you live godly, sometimes bad things come your way not because you've done bad things. Sometimes bad things come your way because you're doing all the right things. Sometimes you can be doing everything right, and that's what he's saying, that if you live godly, there's going to be seasons that we go through where there's going to be persecution that comes into our life. I'm not preaching a martyr complex to the church and saying that we should walk around, you know, tripping over our bottom lip and, and uh, crying in our beer. We don't drink beer, but... You know, just that everything, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that if you're going to live for God, there's going to be seasons that you go through, that there's going to be persecutions. Amen. The definition of that word, persecution, to systematically oppress and harass, to be or become subject to systematic harassment and attack due to one's religious beliefs. All that live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. They're going to suffer persecution. That's a systematic harassment or attack due to your religious beliefs. Because you live for God, he's saying there's going to be times if you live for God, there's going to be systematic harassment that comes in your life. Have you ever felt harassed before? If nothing else, by the enemy, you're living for God and you're being harassed. You just, you're like, man, is this ever going to end? I mean, I just feel, I, I, I don't like this season I'm in. I don't like the way that it feels. And all of us at one point in time or another are going to be spiritually harassed. It's going to happen. If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to have seasons of harassment. It's going to happen. Amen. So here's my question. I asked the question about if anybody's been shot. I don't know if I want to ask the question again. Have you ever been punched in the face? And all of a sudden, all kinds of hands go up. Yeah. I was in the sixth grade. I don't even know who she was. I have absolutely no idea. I have absolutely no idea. I'm in the lunch line minding my own business. And I don't know where this, this little gal, and I'll use that term very loosely, comes walking along and she cuts in front of me. And me, not being able to resist the temptation, of course, said something smart. 
blah, 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 blah. To which she turned around, looked at me and went, and Jack slapped me. And the thing is, in that position, it's in my genetics. It's in my DNA. It's the way I was taught. You don't ever, I mean, it's, I was in the ultimate lose-lose situation. Because you can't hit a girl. Just don't do it. So here's this red mark on my face. So it was lose-lose. So I just stood there and looked stupid as she just jack-slapped me across the face. Wasn't cool. Wasn't cool. Ladies, please don't ever do that. You may meet somebody that doesn't have the morality that I have. <laughs> she probably need to be taken down. Anyway. Okay, the other time, I'm in eighth grade, right? I'm in eighth grade. And I'm walking down the hall with my friends. I'm walking down the hall with my friends. We're walking. And you know how guys are. Got the swagger going on, eighth grade. And uh, this guy that, you know, had a little issue with my friend group and me, kind of shot his mouth off. And, it, it, and he did that after we were like 30 feet gone. You know, we were 30 feet down. the. Blah, 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 blah. So, of course, what do you got to do, right? You got to turn around. Tumbleweed, you know, goes across. Little twitch of the right eye. And so we met in the middle there, and it was... it. From the time I was six until I was 14, I, I'd been in Taekwondo. I was like the karate kid, right? So the whole thing went down. Before I knew it, it was like everything was in slow motion, and it was like Rocky Balboa, and, and boom, 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 the fight was over, and I won. You know, yay, I was done. Now, the, the second time this happened, this was, this was the one that was not good. So in my neighborhood, there was a girl. Her name was Jenny Smith, and I was in love with Jenny Smith. The one and only, she had my heart. She didn't know she had my heart, but Jenny had my heart. Cute little thing. She was the fastest runner in fifth grade, too. She was an impressive person. Cute little thing. And I was in love with Jenny Smith. She didn't know it, but I was in love with Jenny Smith. And so I was walking home, and she lived on the same street that I lived on. But when I'd walk home, she would walk to the left, and I would walk to the right. And so here we were. We were walking down the road there, and, and I hit my street, and I made a right start going this way. And she started walking the other way, but her bigger brother was there with her. And I don't know what initiated this guy doing this, but out of the middle of nowhere, he started, uh, you know, mouthing off. And I, I had to take the bait. He was two years older than I was, so I turned around and I walked toward him just like this, and he's taller than I was. And when I can't, you know, the posturing that happens between guys, and the posturing was happening, and I came up to him like this, and before I knew it, out of nowhere, a right fist, right in my face. Pow! And I made up my mind that day <laughs> that I don't like getting punched. You know what I'm talking about? And your head's ringing. And that was the end of it. I made up my mind. I don't like being punched. But can I tell you this? You're going to get punched. If you live for God, you're going to get punched. It is inevitable that you're going to get hit. It is inevitable at some point in your spiritual life, you're going to get hit. We cannot put our thumb in our mouth. 
cry big, great big crocodile tears and say, oh, I guess I'm just going to quit living for Jesus because I got hit. All right, I'll give you some scripture to validate. 1 Peter 5 and 8, notice what Peter tells the church. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil... I fear that we tune out so much maybe from the reality of the spiritual battle that we're in. We just go, we're just living life. We're just going to, you know, it's just, is there a devil? Yes, there is a devil. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us, Peter told us that he is your adversary. So you know what that means? When you got the Holy Ghost and you went down in water in the name of Jesus and the identity of your life changed and you came up out of those waters, when you came up out of those waters, a target was put upon your chest. You are dangerous to the kingdom of the enemy. You have an adversary. You have an adversary that hates your spiritual guts. We've got to know. That's why Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. You know what? When your enemy comes into your life, what you've got to do is you've got to learn how to stage a resistance. You got to say, I'm not allowing the enemy to overrun my life. I'm not going to allow the tempter to pull me off of the beaten pathway that I'm on. I'm not going to allow the enemy to break my cadence and my rhythm. No, I'm not going to let the enemy pull me away from the call and the cause of God upon my life because I have an enemy that wants to stop me. There's an enemy that's there in my life. I have an adversary, an adversary, and he is very, very real. I like what he says in continuing this, this thought in Peter 5 and 10. He says, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You know what he's saying? He's saying after a season of spiritual attack, when you've withstood the enemy, you've resisted the enemy, you stand true to your God that the God of grace is going to come through and he is going to support you. He is at, and he said, after you have suffered a little while, there's going to be a time period that you're going to have suffering in your life. Oh, yes, you are. But he said, when that time's over, he said, it's going to produce a maturity and a perfection. It will establish you. It's going to build spiritual muscles in your life and it will strengthen you. And he said, it will settle you. God doesn't want us to be a bunch of tumbleweeds. We are the planting of the Lord. We are trees of righteousness. That means that when the trials come our way, we don't disappear like Casper the friendly ghost for three months and then say, you know, when the trial's over, I'll come back to church. No, what we do is we put our roots down and there is a settling that happens. There is a strengthening that happens. There is a maturing that happens. There is something of maturity and perfecting that happens, uh, that after we've suffered a little while, there's a God of grace uh, that will lift us up and give us victory over our enemy. Victory over our enemy. This is why he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and 3, he said, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Hardness. Endure, he said, hardness. That word means hardship. It means emotional pain. 
it means harm. He said, there's going to be harm that comes your way. And there's some things that we just got to learn how to endure. Come on, somebody. You got to endure some things. The message, which I don't normally go to very often, it's a paraphrase, but I do like the way the message says it. When the going gets rough, the message says, take it on the chin like the rest of us, the way Jesus did. You know what that means? That means sometimes, and I get it, we've got to learn how not to whine. I get it. Okay, let's be real here this morning. I understand there's a place for pouring out our pain. There is a place, and it's acceptable. It's okay. It's right. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. There's a season of confession. There's a season where you connect with somebody that cares. There's a season you link up in the altars. And I love to see what I saw here this morning. I thank God for it. It's a sign of a healthy church when people are connecting with one another. And and there is mutual support that is being given. And we say, thank God for that, that there's a place for that. There's a place that we confess our faults. There's a place where we talk about our problems. There's a place. But I can, can I tell you, there is also a place where we have got to make up our mind that we cannot be creatures that live in perpetual pity. We cannot get out our kazoos and and throw ourselves a first-rate pity party day after day and week after week. Sometimes what Paul is saying, we've got to endure hardness. What are you saying? Dunk your head in cold water. Maybe slap your own cheek just a little. Wake yourself up. Toughen up a little bit. Get your mind right. Get right with the Lord. Pray through. Do whatever you got to do. Because sometimes living for God is hard. That's why Paul told him, you're a soldier. Endure hardness as a good soldier. I believe what God's trying to do in this church, furthermore, in every church, is to build up Christian saints of God that no matter matter what comes their way they're going to live for God they'll put up with some stuff they'll endure some stuff they've learned by trial and error that I'm going to live for God whatever comes my way and it's going to work in my favor it's going to make me stronger it's not going to beat me I'm going to beat it and when I come out of this trial I'm going to come out a better man come on you're going to come out a better woman you're going to come out stronger in the Lord than what you came in. But that is a byproduct of a posture, of a stance. I fear God help us. We cannot raise a weak generation of Pentecostals that when the first sign of tribulation comes their way, they fold like a house of cards. We've got to have a generation that has so sunk their roots down deep into the bedrock of their God and so built uh, patterns and habits of life and worship and prayer and praise uh, that you can't move them. You can't get them off of that rock because they've got a made-up mind in Christ. They've got armor that they've put on, and they know I'm going to get hit but when I get hit, I'm equipped for the hit. I am equipped for whatever comes my way. Oh, praise God. Can we lift our hands to the Lord right now? Jesus, in your name, I pray. Holy Ghost, put that deep within us. As a church, oh God, as a saint of God, a child of God, put that deep within me. 
Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'll never turn from you. I'll turn to you in my pain and in my trouble. You're a God that's with me. Strengthen this church, I pray. Oh, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was not my message. That was the introduction. Okay? And I'm going to make the application real quick because this is the important part. This is the part that blew my mind. Because the question is, you got to ask yourself the question, how do I survive the shot? If I've been shot, how do I survive the shot? This guy was shot with a 20-gauge slug, a slug. He said it felt like molten steel burning within him. And he figured, I'm dead. I should have, what I should have done is I should have played the excerpt from his podcast. I will quote you verbatim what he said, though. And the reason I'm preaching this here this morning is when he said it, this guy, and I'm listening, I'm mesmerized by the story. He's been shot with a 20-gauge slug. And the next thing he says and how he survived the shot was the last thing that I ever would have thought. And that's what intrigued me about this message here. Because after he was shot, and here's my quote that I'll bring to you today. This is how he survived the shot. He said, this is what he said. After he was shot, 20-gauge slug, he's, he's laying there. And he said, literally, it's almost like if you've ever seen a gut shot deer. He said, that's, that's what the scene looked like. And he said, this is what he said. He said, at that point, I started setting goals. Goals. At that point, I started setting goals. What do you mean by that? Let me apply it in his situation. He said, as soon as he got shot, he said, first thing I did is I started yelling at the, at the guy that had shot me and telling him, stop shooting, stop shooting. And then he said, my next step was, he said, I tried to, to move. He said, but my limbs weren't moving. He said, I started dragging myself around the tree. He said, I wanted to get away from the threat. He said, I started setting goals. He said, okay, I'm going to live until the EMTs get here. That's my, that's, my, that's my goal. I'm going to live until the EMTs get here. I'm going to live till my fellow wardens get here. And when the fellow wardens got there, the, his first responsibility, he said, guys, he shot from that direction. He said, because he didn't want his friends to get shot by the same perpetrator. The next, what was his next step? He said, I'm going to stay conscious until the EMTs get here. He said, okay. Next up, he said, I'm, I'm, and, and once they, they somewhat stabilized him, they, they got him onto this little gurney and they took him, they got him in the, in the helicopter. He said, he said my, my next goal, he said, I'm going to make it to the hospital. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it to the hospital. And furthermore, he, he's, I mean, he's half dead and he's in there and they had dealt with, there was a hospital that had a trauma center that he knew about. And he said, you're going to send, he said, you guys redirect the flight. He said, send me to this certain hospital because they have a trauma center that's used to dealing with gunshot victims and all that kind of thing. And he directed, and he said, what he said was, he said, because I'm at least going to get to the hospital. If I die there, it won't be my fault. At least I did my part. That's what he said. And then the next step, what are you saying? My Lord, I feel the Holy Ghost here today. You survive by setting goals. What, what are you talking about? I mean, really, this kind of fits C-team, right? I've been talking to our C-team about setting goals. I'm not even talking about that. But why does this matter? What's the next step? There's a simple strategy for survival. 
When you've been shot, you can't always think about 10 years from now. You can't, you can't wrap your head around five years from now. You can't wrap your head around, you know, a year. What am I going to do a year from now? What about this and that? When you've been shot, there's a simple, simple strategy. What's the next thing I'm supposed to do? What's my next step? And when I've taken my next step, what's my next step? And when I've taken that step, what's my next step? I can't, I can't take the 10 steps, but I can take the one step because I've been sh so shocked by the shot that I'm just trying to come up for air and I don't know what to do in this situation. What do I do? Take the next step. What's my goal? What's the next step that I need to take? What would God have me to do? The very next thing that I need to do. And whatever that next thing that I need to do, that's what I'm going to do. And if I take the next step, then God can lead me to the next step. I'm preaching to this church. There's a way that you can survive the shot. One goal at a time. One step at a time. Amen. One decision at a time. And you can survive the shot. If you can put one foot in front of the other, take one step at a time. What's my next move? What's my next step? What would the Lord have me to do next? And you can survive the shot. What do I do next? And he immediately begins setting goals. Because goals can save you. What you cannot do is be paralyzed by inactivity. So I'm just going to sit here and die, I guess. I guess it's all over. This is all she wrote. I guess I'm going to die here. No, no. I will live again. And I'm going to live by taking the next step. Let me give you some other points of information that I thought were highly informative and helpful if you've been shot from a man who was shot. He said, you've got to accept the fact you've been shot. <laughs> and I'll quote, he said, when you've been shot, accept the fact you've been shot. But he also said, as a part of that, he said, I have to do something about it. And this is what he did. He said, if you've been shot, accept the fact you've been shot. Okay, here I am. This is a reality. I'm not living in denial. Here's where I'm at. He said, but you have to do something about it. And this is the next step that I want to preach about. Because what he said was, he said, after I got shot, then I had to focus on my training. Mm. Mm. I got to focus on my training. Dear Jesus Almighty, how many sermons have we heard? How many camps have we attended? Come on. How many times have we bent our knees in prayer and we got calluses on our knees? How many times have we prayed? How many chapters of the Bible have we gone through and our Bible is, is wore out? And like the quote says, a Bible that's worn out is normally owned by someone who isn't. How many prayer meetings have we been in? How many equipped classes have we sat through? How many youth services have, 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 has the principles of God been put into our, our souls and our hearts? How many special revival services? 
How, how, how many hours of personal study have we been through? How many personal experiences and victories have we had? What I'm saying here today is you have training in you. Every one of you children of God, you got training in you. You got months and years of biblical, spiritual, apostolic training in you. And you know what happens when you've been shot? What's been in you all these years, that's when it comes out. That's when the training kicks in. That's when everything you've learned has an outlet and a purpose. Everything that's put into you now comes out. Now it's automatic. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to church. Am I preaching to any real people here? Have you ever been hit so hard you just say, I don't even want to go to church today? <laughs> I don't even want to go to church. I think I'll just... Roll over, turn off the alarm, and watch cartoons. That's, that's, that's the temptation. That's how I feel. But how I feel does not determine and direct what I do because I got training in me. I'm going to the house of God. I'm going to get into an altar service. I, the Holy Ghost is going to move them. I'm bringing my little chickadees. I'm bringing my family with me. I'm going to show them an example. Even though I'm down, I'm not out. We're going to church, family. And what are we going to do? And probably most of the time, none of us would even know what they're going through because they've been trained. Hands raised in prayer, loving God. Anointed tears coming out of their eyes because that's what they do because that's what they've been trained to do. And that's how you survive a shot when you've been shot you do what you know to do i got a plan i got a plan i've got a goal and i'm going to survive this thing hallelujah i'm going to survive i'm going to get through this thing get through it and god is going to help me amen I thought a little different direction. I'm going to go through this very quickly. Ephesians chapter number 6. What, what's the plan for the soldier? Ephesians chapter number 6. He said, loins girt about with truth. Loins girt with truth. What does that mean? That when I'm under attack, I'm going to embrace the truth. I'm going to love the truth. I'm going to stay in love with the truth. I'm going to pull the truth close to me. When I'm under attack from the enemy, my loins are going to be girded with truth. He said the breastplate of righteousness. You know why? Listen up. Because when you're under attack, you know what you want to do? When you're under attack, that's when the enemy says, why don't you just go get drunk? That's what you ought to Just go get drunk. You'll feel better. Nobody will even know. Or how about that? You, you got access some of those contacts, they're old contacts from four or five years ago. You haven't, you haven't made that contact in a long time, but you have contacts. You could get yourself a little something that could get you through the night, right? You get yourself some pills. You could get yourself a little meth. You could do that. But no, 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 no. Because when you've been shot, that's when the breastplate of righteousness has got to be there to cover your, your, your organs, got to cover your heart and cover your lungs. Righteousness, right living. When I'm under attack, I'm going to keep living right. I'm going to keep doing right. I'm going to keep doing what God wants me to do, though I'm tempted to do elsewise. No, I'm going to live right before God. That's the plan. The shield of faith, 
The shield of faith, the shield of faith, wherewith you quench all the fire darts of the wicked. Fire darts, those are long-distance weapons. Those are, they're dipped in pitch, they're set on fire, and they're shot at a long distance, out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, you're just standing there, just living life, doing your own thing, just about your own business, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, funk. And it's, on, it's burning, it's on fire. Where'd that come from? I didn't ask for that. But it hurts, it's painful. But you know what we got? We got a shield of faith. The shield, though, can't be left laying on the ground. You got to pick up the shield of faith. You got to lift it up and you got to cover yourself with the shield of faith. What's that mean? That means I've got confidence in the Lord. I exercise my confidence in God. I'm lifting this faith up. Guess what? God's going to get me through this. Oh, yes, he is. I don't know how. I don't know when. But I know the Lord's going to get me through this. My faith will shield me from the darts of the wicked that come against me. That's the plan. I'm picking up my faith. That's the plan. Putting on the helmet of salvation. What's that? The helmet of salvation. you got to cover your thinking because when you're under attack, your brain will just get crazy. Your brain will get crazy. You'll start thinking things. you say, where'd that come from? If you're not careful, you just marry yourself to it and say, I guess I'm a bad person. I'm a horrible person. No, just reject it. You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Wild thoughts. I don't know. Where'd that come from? No, that's where, no, the helmet of salvation. I'm going to think like a saved person. I'm going to cover my mind. I'm going to make sure that the thoughts I'm thinking, I, in fact, I'm going to pull down strongholds. I'm going to make sure that my mind is thinking the right thoughts because I'm going to have the helmet of salvation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think right. And as I think right, it's going to help me to do right. Helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. Amen. I'm going to hold strong to God's word. Here's where I hold to the word of God. I learn how to use the word of God. It's in my life. When the enemy comes in, it's my strategy. I'm going to the word. I'm going to prayer. I'm going to the word of God. God will talk to me. And then he goes further and says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Watch what he says. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Because I need my church. I need my church. If I've been shot, I need my church. I'm praying for my church. I've been shot. I'm praying for my church. I'm keeping my church at the forefront of my memory. All saints. I'm praying for the saints. I love the saints. I love my church. I love the family of God. I love the people that will surround me. And, and we're all going through our battles, but we can come together as an army because I'm not a singular soldier fighting this battle on my own. I'm a part of an army. We are soldiers in the army of the Lord. We are together in this thing. I'm not fighting this battle on my own. I'm not going solo. I'm a part of a church. I'm a part of a family of God, and I'm praying for the church. I'm running to the church. And then Paul said, and, that, and for me, and he said, pray for the saints and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. That's when I'm going to stay close to my preacher. I've got a church, but I'm also praying for my preacher that God will help him to minister the word of God. I'm staying connected to the ministry. 
Everything would love to break your confidence in your ministry and in your minister. But no, I'm not doing that. When I'm under attack, that's when I'm praying for my preacher, I'm praying for the saints, and I'm praying for his preaching as well, that it is effective and that it is impactful, that it will help me because we're in this thing together. I need my preacher, and I need the church. I need the family of God because we're in this thing together, and I'm going to survive the shot. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. As I close, your pre-programmed instinct that is in you, training, it's in you. That's what this is all about. That's what Sunday school is all about. That's what youth service is all about. That's what our prayer meetings are all about. That's what all this exercise is all about. That's what Sunday morning equips, Sunday night. That's what it's all about. And when you get hit, you have an opportunity to respond. And the question is going to be, when you get hit, what are you going to do? When you get shot, what are you going to do? You can just sit there and die. Oh God, am I ever gonna am I ever gonna get past this? Am, 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 am I gonna be able to survive? This is appears to be fatal. Am I gonna die? Or are you gonna respond as the soldier that you are? I've got an admonition here this morning. When you get shot. That's not when you want to go all Eeyore. Well, I guess. If it's going to happen to anybody, it's going to happen to me. For me. Everything's bad. Probably just going to die here. Oh, that's when your faith rises. That's when you set goals. What's my next step? What's my next step? I'll tell you something. You're going to get hit. But you know what? You're going to survive. You're going to be all right. You know how I know this? Because my Bible tells me this. That's why God gave you the armor of God. He gave you the armor of God. He gave you the people of God so that not if it happens, but when it happens, that you're going to be ready for it.